My name is Bob Martin. I have the privilege of being a lead pastor here at St. Paul, and we're so grateful that you are connecting with us. As Pastor Pam said earlier, if you're not a part of our church family, it's okay. You know, as churches, we work together collectively. We are one body of Christ, and we know that if your church is not able to have worship today and you're spending your time with us, that that day will come that you'll be able to return back to your home church, and we celebrate that with you. In the meantime, if we can be a blessing for you, um, we're glad that you're with us. Uh, we're taking a pause from our um, our, our uh, Lenten season in a sense that uh, today would have been a day that I was going to preach out of Matthew 21 and talk about a time when Jesus was in the temple. We're going to pause that because I think just in the, in the midst of all that we're involved with today, that it's important for us to always remain flexible, but also to listen to the whispers of the Holy Spirit and to move into directions and to share words that God has placed on our hearts to deal with the extraordinary circumstances that are before us. So I just want us to, to kind of talk a little bit today about having some peace in the midst of chaos. You know, with all the media hype and um, concerning the COVID-19, the coronavirus that's going on, and, and just uh, the kinds of things that we listen to every day, whether it be on television or we read uh, Facebook or read tweets, the ways that we connect, it's generating thousands of questions. And I don't know about you, but I know me. And, 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 and sometimes I go into that question mode and um, kind of that uh, Columbo, those of you that can remember him, one more question. And I'm thinking about questions and I'm listening to the questions and reading the questions that so many of you are asking. And, and those are questions that are on all of our hearts, like, like how do I know that I've contracted the coronavirus? What do I do if I feel like I'm being symptomatic? Others have asked questions about, are we prepared as a country for an onslaught of, of an overhaul, over an overrun in this particular instance? Those are all valid questions. And you know what? And I think we've also heard some questions that, that I know that are important on some people's hearts, but, but I think if we take a step back, it can bring some levity. And those are questions like, what supermarket still has toilet paper? You know, I think even in the midst of that, it just shares a little bit with us our nervousness, doesn't it? It shares with us our nervousness and our concern. But you know, as I listen to all those questions and, and I think about that, the one question that I think is missing is the most important question. It's the question that's not being asked on Facebook. It's the question that's not being addressed in press conferences with our officials of government. It's, it's a question that, that certainly our news media, uh, television news media, aren't, aren't populating as well. And it's a question that I think is so important that we Christians, we as human beings, we need to be asking this question. You want to know what it is? The question is, how are you doing? And more importantly, how are you doing really? And I think that that's an important part of, of, of who we are. You know, as, as, a, as a body of Christians, we, we really take seriously what it means to come together we know what it means to say that we celebrate our identity in Christ, whether it be through our baptisms or whether it be through the sacraments, whatever the case be, and that we are stronger together than we are apart, that, that we have a place here, a place in this faith that we confess. But I know that that, that question is, is one that has been on my heart. How are you doing? How are you doing really? 
And as I was praying last night about um, what God's word was for us today and, and, and how I could help be a vessel of, of either healing or hope or, or to bring a sense of calm, that, that I was praying that God would take me in all of my mistakes and all of my inadequacies and that God would, for maybe 20 or so minutes, allow me his privilege to be a part of his voice to all of you. So that's where I want to focus today is how are you? When I, uh, when I was praying, I, I felt a lot of nudges. Um, we hear a lot of people talk about, well, how does God speak to you? Well, God speaks to me by images. God speaks to me by placing images in my mind. And, and maybe it's because God knew when he created me that, that, that I would be a visual learner. And I'm one of those persons that if I can see it, if I can visualize it even in my mind, even if it's just in theory, if I can just see something in my mind, then I'm better able to understand it. And so the first thing that God did, God gave me a couple of images uh, yesterday. And the first image was that, that we were all kind of together in a boat, uh, any ordinary boat, but it wasn't a big boat. It was, it was kind of a small boat, but nevertheless, it was a boat. And, and as we were in that boat, um, I was imagining that, that we were kind of being rocked back and forth and swallowed up by a storm that none of us ever anticipated could come. And while I was thinking of that story of us there, I, we, were, we were calling out in our own ways for God's help. And then I thought, you know, there's a story in the Bible there's the scriptures that is exactly the way that God is speaking to me today. And I was thinking about the kinds of things that we struggle with. The kinds of things is we're in the boat rocking back and forth. And some of folks, are, they're struggling with the coronavirus. They're, think, they're struggling with what will happen with that. Some others, you know, after uh, a couple of weeks of just um, ups and downs in the Dow Jones industrials and in the stock market, we're, we're feeling the pinch of, of our money. Some, some are in relationships today where, where someone that you thought was in it for life for you has just thrown in the towel and just said, chunk it, I'm out of here. And they've left you. So we've all been in those places where our lives have been out of control. And that's where I think exactly where, where we need to be. We need to be at this place. So the image that God gave me was out of Matthew's gospel. And listen to what is written here. Then he, Jesus, he's speaking of Jesus, Jesus got into the boat with his disciples and they followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up out on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus, Jesus was sleeping. And the disciples went and they woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're gonna drown. In other words, God do something because we don't know what to do. Now I think that all of us could in some way say that we know what that's like. We've called out to God in those ways. We're in the boat. Waves are crashing about, we're being tossed violently, and in some way we've shouted out those words, Lord, save me, Lord, help me, Lord, come to my rescue, do something, God. This is one of those stories I really believe that God handpicked. It's one of those accounts that began likely with Mark and, and then uh, conflated in the other gospel writers, and, and Mark recalled that in Matthew, and, and um, Luke jumped in and said, yeah, that's important, we need to know that. But it's one of those stories where I believe that God put that out there so that we would know. As much as we want to think that we can control things in life, guess what? We can't. 
As much as we want our life to be in control, as much as we want everything to be perfect, the reality is it never will be. We get a phone call and the x-ray comes back and it says that there's a spot that we didn't know about. We can't control that. There's a phone call that, that comes and says that a beloved friend one day is doing fine and then that night has headaches and then the next day is diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor. We can't help that. We began to start to see our children might be wayward in some ways. We're just not sure that we can always control that. So the truth is, no matter how much we want to control life, no matter how much we want to control the circumstances, no matter how much we want the world to be at our beck and call, no matter how much we want everything to be perfect, the truth and reality is, friends, it's not. And that's, and that's something that I think we struggle with as Christians, because we think that because we have given our life to an all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, all-present God, that God will protect us from all of those things. Well, God will, but God doesn't always choose to preclude us from those experiences. There's more to the story. I think sometimes we, we think about this story about in the boat and it's moving back and forth and the storms are raging. We're crying out, Lord God, save me. Lord Jesus, do something. And what we've got to remember is in every situation of life, we need to remember and trust that God always provides a way through it. Now, I didn't say that, that God always ends it, but I said God always provides a way through it. And as we move through these things, we see the significance. The significance of this story is actually found in, in that first part that I read, that part about Jesus getting in the boat with the disciples. Then the storm comes, then it starts to rage, then they cry out. But we have to recall the important. The way through it is in the beginning that Jesus got in the boat with his disciples. And I think that that's really important, and that's the beauty about this. What this says is, is that, that God chooses to go through the problems and the storms of our lives with us. God chooses to be in that situation with us, not to abandon us, not to push back on that, but God says, I choose to be with you. And what that literally meant in this story was, if that boat capsized, not only would the disciples have to swim back to shore, but Jesus would have too. And so I, I want us to be reminded that when, when we're in the boat and the problems and the storms come, to remember we're not alone, that God promises to be with us. So the disciples cry out, and, and Jesus says some very important words. He says, oh, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Let me pause on that for a second. You know, some people will read that and they'll say that, that, that if you ever get scared, if you ever um, uh, become afraid, if, if you ever uh, get to a point where, where you might even have some self-doubts about things, the first thing that they want to say to you is, you don't have enough faith. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here at all. I think what Jesus was doing was Jesus was talking more about himself. And what he was saying is, guys, remember, I'm here. I'm going to take care of this. So you need to have faith enough just to trust and remember that even when you might doubt, even when you're scared, even when turmoil is coming, you need to just trust that I got it, that I will take care of the problem that you have. 
Then it says, he got up, he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed. What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What kind of man is this that even the problems of the world can obey him? What kind of man is this that that when we thought the wheels had come off the bus and life could not be the same again, that there could be no peace, this man can bring it back. This man named Jesus. Here's the second image that God placed in my mind. And it was the image of um, seeing God as a mighty fortress. Back in 2003, I, I can just tell you um, that that was a train wreck in my life, and, and um, ministry had become very complicated. We, were, we had just planted a church, and we were you know, four or five years into that, and just the pressures of, of all that was involved in that. And, and I just got to a point where, where I just said, I've had enough. And so I went off, and I, and I went on a retreat at, at, at an abbey here in our area, and I stayed and I hung out with the monks. And, and I remember vividly an image when I walked into the room. There was a, the room was very small. If it was uh, eight by eight, that might have been the size of a mansion compared to this room I was in. And on one side was a desk, and above that desk was a picture of a violent sea. And I said to myself, that's me, that's my life, it's out of control, it's, it's, I just cannot comprehend. The waves are foaming, which meant that, that something not good is about to happen. But the more that I stayed in that room, the more that I reached out to my brothers who were, who were monks, the more th- that they prayed with me, the more I prayed with God, the deeper I got into the scriptures. You know what I noticed? There was a, port- there was a painting on the other wall behind me, and it was a painting of a mighty fortress. And around it was this beautiful garden. And yes, there was a, a stream or a pond or, or maybe a moat, and the waters were just as calm as could be. But in the midst of that, I looked even closer, and there, and I think it was intentional by the artist, there inside of the forest was a silhouette. I saw that to be Jesus. So God put that impression on my heart, and it, and it brings me back to a, a very important psalm that I think we all need to be reading today, and especially through these times. It's Psalm 46. God is our shelter and our strength, always ready to help in times of trouble, so we will not be afraid, even if the earth is shaken and the mountains fall into the ocean depth, even if the seas roar in rage and the hills are shaken by the violence. There's a river that brings joy to the city of God, to the sacred house of the Most High, and God is in that city. And it will never be destroyed. And at early dawn, he will come to it and, and, and come to its aid. And, and nations are terrified and kingdoms are shaken. But God thunders and the earth dissolves. The Lord Almighty, what does it say? He is with us. The God of Jacob is what? Is our refuge. Come and see what the Lord has done. See what amazing things that he has done on earth. He stops wars all over the world. He breaks bows. He destroys the spears. He sets shields on fire. Stop fighting, he says, and know that I am God. Other translations would say, peace be still and know that I am God. I am supreme among the nations. I am supreme over the world. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. 
There's powerful words there, friends. God is our refuge. And when I thought about battles and all that, we do fight battles every day. We fight health battles. We fight relational battles. We fight battles uh, in our country, outside of our country, even in our own homes. We fight battles of health. You, you name it, we fight battles. But God promises he will be victorious in all things. And that leads me to 2 Chronicles 20, where, where we learn that the, that the people of Israel are against an insurmountable enemy. There are three tribes, and the number of warriors is far greater than all of the population of Israel. And the people of Israel know that at any moment, if those three tribes bring war upon them, if they gather and swarm at any moment, they could literally wipe Israel off the face of the map, and that the people of God would totally be destroyed. What do you do in those instances? You lead. King Jehoshaphat got the people together and he said, we need to come together and we need to be in assembly and we need to pray. And, and during that time, some great things happened. And, and let me just share with you the story from 2 Chronicles 20. The men of Judah, their, their wives and their children, their little ones, they stood there before the Lord. And then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. And he was a Levite, so he was of the priestly tribe and, and he was a descendant of Asaph. And so here this young man stands before the entire assembly of God's people. He says, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeril. And you will not have to fight this battle, but take up your positions. So be prepared for what God is about to do. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord as to how God will deliver you. O Judah and Jerusalem, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. The next morning, the people got up and they, they gathered all of their weapons, they gathered everything, and then King Jehoshaphat probably made um, the most strategic decision that does not make any sense at all. You go to battle with your enemy, what do you do? You put your greatest fighting forces in the front to be the ones to advance, but also to protect the vulnerable. But King Jehoshaphat said, the choir is going to lead. Robert, the choir is going to lead. And, and he puts the choir out front, and, and, he, and they begin to sing. And they begin to sing some powerful words, praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. And as they got to the place where God told them that the enemy would be gathered, guess what happened? The enemy fought against themselves, and they destroyed themselves. And the people of God were victorious in the way of peace. This led me to a third image, and that was an image of a portrait that we see often, Jesus holding us in our brokenness, um, Jesus just grabbing us and, and wrapping us in his arms and taking away those burdens. And it's a passage out of Matthew 11 when Jesus gives this invitation, and I believe it's an invitation for today, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You're weary, you're burdened. You're not just weary and burdened on the surface. You are weary and burdened in your soul. And so am I in some respects. 
And Jesus says, come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus carries us. So what can we do during this time? What can we do during this season when, when we're all kind of on a state of alert, when we're all wondering what's next, what do we do? Let me give you a couple of suggestions. I hope that you'll pray about these suggestions I'm gonna give you because I've prayed about them and I believe that they make sense. The first suggestion is pray for God's healing and compassion. God's healing and compassion, especially on those who have this virus. Not just this virus, but, but those who are struggling with illnesses today, the vulnerable, pray for God's compassion and healing upon them. The second thing I wanna say to you is stay calm. Stay calm. Resist the temptation of thinking that, that you have to run out to the grocery store and buy all these supplies because. Stay calm. Keep a cool head and do the right thing. Here's one. Don't use this virus as a political weapon. I don't care which side you are on politically. What I care about is you. And what I mean by that is, is let's put down the stones. Let's stop blaming. Do not use this situation as a political weapon, but use it as a time instead to come together. And here's the last thing that I would say. I would say, instead of spending your time consumed using media, instead of watching the, the newsreels, instead of uh, being connected in Facebook and reading everybody's doomsday posts, instead of tweeting and all those things, let me ask you to do this. Take all the time that you're spending being consumed by all of this and spend that time with your family. Turn your energy, turn your attention, turn your heart away from all of that and give it back to your family. Let your kids know you love them. Let your spouse, let, let your loved ones know that you love and care about them. Spend and give them the time that they crave. You can do that. And lastly, help us as your pastors and your lay staff, help us to meet your needs, however that may be. Let me leave you with this. It's an excerpt that, that uh, came from a blog that was written by a writer named Kate Bowler. Kate is on the staff at the Divinity School at Duke University. I have some partiality to that. That's the seminary I attended. And Kate is a professor there, and, and, and she is the author of a book called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies That I've Loved. And Kate is, has an interesting story. She was diagnosed with stage four cancer at the age of 35, shortly after the birth of her son. And listen to what she says. I'm gonna to read to you what she says. She says, how are we supposed to pray when our souls have been pummeled by tragedy? How do I pray when I'm too tired to support the weight of it all and if it's with all the things that aren't right in the world? Maybe you, like me, she says, are at the point of prayer exhaustion. Perhaps you're also teetering on the edge of numbness against everything that we're facing. As a Christian, she writes, I often feel guilty when I feel I cannot pray. I imagine myself as the kind of person who understands the need for prayer, especially in the dark times, but the truth is, when things come apart, prayer often seems inaccessible. When I'm at the end of my strength, I go back to the beginning, she writes. 
The Jesus Prayer is an old prayer dating back to the very early portions of the new church. It's short, accessible, and draws us into community of unceasing prayer. She says that the classic form of the Jesus Prayer is this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. She says many times that prayer is shortened to these words, Lord have mercy on me, Christ have mercy on me. Or when the language itself is just too hard to utter, when you don't know what to say, simply just cry out, Lord. Bowler continues, my decision to pray anyway is an intense theological reaction to my helplessness. It's hope in the midst of despair that I know somewhere in my soupy self that suffering will not be allowed to have the final word. You see, hope is the ability to pray even when we can't. There are 365 fear knots in our scriptures. Isn't that ironic? One for every day of the year, that God would bless us with that. Paul wrote this in his second letter to Timothy. Paul says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of self-discipline. My friends, let us have that kind of spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, God bless you all.